I want to begin a conversation today that is probably one of the hardest for us to really understand. But yet it's absolutely vital to our Christian faith. So today we're going to start talking about the Trinity. And uh, you might think, well, Mike, why do we want to talk about the Trinity? Why is this so important? Well, we're going to see that the Trinity is vitally important for us to understand why we should talk about it. We're, so we're going to talk about the triune nature of God. And, and even though that the word Trinity is not mentioned in Scripture, we all know what it's talking about. It's talking about God in three persons. The Bible clearly speaks of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But it emphasizes that there is only one God. Most of us know that God is known this way. But do we realize how important it is, it, it is for us to really understand to the best that we can? Because I will say the Trinity is hard to comprehend the fact that God is three persons, yet one God. And so it, it is hard for our, our finite minds to grab an infinite concept. Because this is one of those concepts that go beyond our creation but yet, we're, but we need to learn it and we need to understand it the best that we possibly can so that we can know how the Trinity relates to each other. If we get to understand how God the Father relates to Jesus the Son, how, relate, how they relate to the Holy Spirit, and how they communicate, how they interact, how they relate, it will help us significantly because we're created in their image. That's why it's really important. So we're going to spend some time talking about this today. Having a biblical knowledge and understanding of the Trinity will help us to be able to talk to unbelievers as well. Because the triune nature of one God and three persons sets Christianity apart from all the other world religions. None of the other world religions accept Jesus as part of the Trinity. That's a big deal. And over the next few weeks we're going to be speaking about the Holy Spirit. But I wanted to speak about Trinity first because as we understand Trinity, can we better understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Because the Holy Spirit is a very important, yet many times forgotten member of the Trinity. There's a lot of churches, a lot of people that live their life and they'll talk about God easily, Jesus with a little bit of stress, but never even mention the Holy Spirit. You notice how easy it is to talk about God? Nobody's offended if you talk about God. You mention Jesus, though, and you get a little bit of offense. And you put on top of that the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden now you've really set up a, 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 a barrier. So we're going to break that down over the next few weeks. But first we need to talk about and understand what the Trinity is and who they are. So let me ask the question. Is God one or is he three? Is this a contradictory statement? Is God one or is he three? God lives outside of the limitations of our three-dimensional world. We live in time, space, and matter. We have X, Y, and Z to describe our three dimensions, basically. But God is so far, God is outside of that. God is, he, he's created the sphere called humanity in the universe and he did it all in six days and he did it all miraculously by speaking into existence right and he lives outside of it he's up here we're in the bubble and god's outside outside of it so time began here for us but it never began for god all right 
time never began for God because he's outside of time. And it's never going to end for God either. Now, the beautiful thing about it is that because we were created in the image of God, our time is never going to end either. We, right now, you are an eternal being. You had a beginning, but you're never going to have an ending. Think about that. Try to wrap your mind around that. That what you see, taste, feel, and hear, your five senses, will never end. Now, the challenge is, where are they going to be at? Where are you going to be sensing these five, challenges, or these five senses? Are you going to be suffering in the pit of hell with eternal suffering and punishment? Or are you going to be able to uh, express and see all the grandeur of God in heaven? Uh, there's a big difference there. So this is why this is important, that we're understanding this today. So is this a contradictory statement? Can God be one, yet three? Well, let me, if, if we were to use this, put this in a math equation, it would not be 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 3. Even though that's when we add things up, 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 3, right? What it would be is that it would be 1 times 1 times 1 equals 1. 1 times 1, because mathematics, a multiplication is 1 times 1 times 1 equals 1. And that's kind of a, of a simple way to think about the Trinity, in that they are not a summation of each other. In other words, Jesus isn't adding on to God, and God isn't adding on to the Holy Spirit, and as a result, they're equal to three. No, they are multiplying each other. It's a multiplication factor. Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are separate entities, separate um, personalities, separate in every way, but yet they multiply each other and they bring glory to each other and they support each other and it's 100% together. And that would mean, bring up this equation or this word picture, is that tri plus unity equals trinity. Meaning that the Bible is revealing to us about God that he is one God, yet three persons who have the essence of deity and are in perfect agreement. Trinity is triunity. One God, three persons that are in perfect agreement. This is what sets this apart from every other world religion. That God can be one and three at the same time. All other religions, Jehovah Witness, Muslim, Mormon, whatever, they might recognize Jesus, but they don't recognize him as part of the Trinity. They might see Jesus as a good person, a good teacher, very moral. They might see him as a prophet, but they don't equate him at the same level as God the Father. Therefore, that kind of a Jesus won't save anybody. That kind of a Jesus won't save them as much as Buddha or Muhammad wouldn't save them. The only way that Jesus can be a savior is if Jesus is deity and is he is part of the Godhead. And this is what makes the Christian faith so different and so important that, we, that, that Jesus can say that he is the way to the Father. He is the one and only way to the Father. John chapter 14, verse 6 and 7, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. 
That's what makes Christianity so important, is that Jesus is part of the deity. He is as much God as God the Father is God. He's as much God as the Holy Spirit is God. Yet, he became man so that he could become the Savior of all mankind. So, again, is this a contradictory statement? The reason that the Trinity is not a contradictory statement is because the statement that God is one yet three is not in the same sense of the word. God in one sense is a unified whole, while God in another sense is God in three persons. So it can be said this way, that God is, he's one what, meaning what, he's a unified whole, and he's also three who's, in that he is three different persons with different roles, while he is God as one. Jackie, stop laughing. Okay, wait what Wednesday. This is what this is what it's about. This is really good. See, uh, there's, this is a, and I, I told you at the beginning, this is a hard thing for us to understand, but yet we have to understand that God is a, he's one what. What is God? He is a what would be he is God. But yet he is in three persons, meaning personalities, Entities um, with different minds, different uh, willpower, different everything about them, but yet they're the same God. I know, it's hard to understand, but there's nothing contradictory about this statement. Carrie Waldy, um, last week, uh, we had a presentation, and Carrie came in, and he did a really good job explaining lots of things about truth. And one of the things he talked about was the Trinity, and so let me use an example that he, he made, he brought up about um, the differences or the, how we might think about this. He said that if a woman is pregnant, she is either pregnant or she's not pregnant, right? You can't be pregnant and not pregnant at the same time. So to say that she is and isn't cannot be accurate. You're either pregnant or you're not, Right? So she can't be kind of pregnant. You can't be kind of unpregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. However, a person may, be, may not be pregnant physically, but yet she may be pregnant or appear to be pregnant with an idea that wants to burst forth. She may have such an anticipation about her that she may appear to be pregnant in her thought process. So in a way that she's not pregnant physically, but emotionally she's pregnant with a thought that has to be shared. So physically she's not pregnant, but emotionally she's pregnant with a thought. So it's kind of saying, yes, she's pregnant, but she's not pregnant at the same time. Because she's not pregnant physically, but she's pregnant emotionally. Does that make any difference? Does that help at all? Not being contradictory. The Trinity is God is one and three at the same time, but not in the same way. Why is this so important? One of the reasons why it's so important is for the church is that it gives us a 
way to see unity in diversity. They're totally unified, but yet they're diverse. We never see the members of the Trinity ever in disagreement. Even though they are different persons, they are always 100% unified, never in any type of of an argument or any form of dissension. They talk among themselves. They have discussions among themselves. But they never disagree with each other, and they never put each other down, or they never exalt one of themselves over the other. And we see in Scripture that it's clear that they have unity and they have conversation as the Father talks to the Son and the Son talks to the Father and the Holy Spirit empowers the Son. It goes all the way back to creation. And we'll talk about that as we talk about the Holy Spirit later. They all have ideas. They all have feelings. They all have expressions. They all have a will, just like we do. You have expressions. You have a thought process. You have the ability to communicate differently than the way I communicate. We have to remember that we're created in the image of God. So if I have those differences, if you and I have differences in the way we communicate, we're created in the, in the image of God in the fact that God has an expression, Jesus has an expression, the Holy Spirit has an expression. They have different thought processes just like we do. But the perfect thing is is that they're in perfect unity all the time. They never disagree with each other. They always build each other up. And that's kind of the model that we're supposed to follow. As difficult and maybe impossible as it is in our own right, just imagine if you and your wife had the ability to have a conversation and not argue. Imagine if you could have a conversation and, not turn, and it not turn into a fight. Imagine if you could have that in your employment. Imagine if we could have that in a church. Imagine if we could have conversation with each other and always see each other's viewpoint and never come to an issue where it's my, me versus you or you versus me or, or trying to pick my idea as better over yours because your idea wasn't my idea. Have you ever been in conversations with that? Have you ever been around people that if it's not their idea, it's not a good idea? And how cooperative is that? How productive are those kind of conversations? You see, if we could model the relationship better that the Holy Spirit has with the Son and the Son has with the Father, and the fact that they have different viewpoints, but they always see each other's viewpoint as valid, if we could begin to see that, I would promise you that you would have a better marriage. You would have a better home. That you could, sh- you could raise your children to see how you respect your husband and how you respect your wife and how you could show them how to have a conversation and not turn it into an argument and a fight. Because we know that there is no fighting in the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son. The fight comes from the devil. The fight comes from our flesh. And if we could begin to appreciate the power of the unity of the Trinity, we could be so much more productive in our church world as well and building the kingdom of God 
even in our church and between other churches in our community. The psalmist says in chapter 133, verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. There's power there. How did Jesus pray for us, believers, before he ascended to the Father? Let's look at the way Jesus prayed for us. Let's look at how he prayed to the Father for us. What did he pray for? John chapter 17, beginning at verse 20. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone, speaking of his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you and I are, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is a pretty good explanation of how God is in complete unity and agreement and how they are in total love with each other. Total love and support of each other. And that's what Jesus is praying for for us. That we would have that same love and acceptance of each other as they have for each other of the Trinity. Now last week we spoke about love. Sing the song. What the world needs now is love sweet love it's the only thing that there's just too little love come on what the world no i'm only kidding um but you know there is love and the world does need love but the love that god has for his fellow members of the trinity is pure love unstained love love that has never been broken And that's the kind of love that he wants us to have for each other. That we would learn to love each other in that way. And we can, I will say that, the secret is we cannot do this on our own. I cannot do this in the power of Mike. I have to have the Holy Spirit living in me, empowering me so that I can love you the way I'm supposed to. And the same thing for you. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in you so that you can love me. Because I'm going to fail. And you're going to fail. And we're going to let each other down. But we need to have that, uh, that accepting love of the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's important that we understand the power of the Trinity. Another reason that the Trinity is so important to understand is because without the Trinity, there would be no salvation. This is a big point. Without the Trinity, there would be no salvation. What does that mean? Well, what was God's, what was, what was God the Son's role? Who was that? That's Jesus. What was Jesus' role in salvation? Jesus' role was to be the lamb slain to pay the price for our sin. He was the perfect sacrifice required to restore fallen man to God the Father. Jesus' role was to be the forgiving of our sin. It was through his blood that we come to God the Father because Jesus died on the cross for us, thus paying the price of sin. It required one of the persons of the Trinity to pay the debt that mankind had 
because man sinned against God in the garden and there was no other animal or no other person that ever lived that could be perfect in the sacrifice. It had to be part of the Trinity. And so Jesus came down in the form of man to live a perfect life and to be the perfect sacrifice. Romans chapter 5, verse 15 through 17. It says, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So that was his role as part of the Trinity of our salvation. All right? So what was God the Father's role? God the Father sent Jesus. He was the sender of Jesus to pay the price for man's sin. We all know this scripture. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that anyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it but to save it. So God's role was to be the sender of Jesus. All right, so now the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit's role in salvation? Well, we're going to find that the Holy Spirit really has multiple roles in the process of salvation and in the life of Jesus and in our being invited to accept Jesus as our Savior. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit's roles because he has many roles. And what's important here is we notice the tense in the roles of each member of the Trinity played or plays in the bringing of salvation to man. Both the roles of God the Father and God the Son are past tense, while the role of God the Holy Spirit is in the present tense. Now, what does that mean? It means that God sent Jesus. Sent is a past tense word. Jesus died, past tense, for our sin. The Holy Spirit is alive bringing us into relationship. And the Holy Spirit's perspective or his role is in the present tense, whereas Jesus and God is in the past tense because what that says is that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus had to die one time for all of man's sin forever and ever. He doesn't have to die daily. Jesus doesn't have to die again. He died one time to pay the price for man's sin. God sent Jesus one time into the world to be a man, to live a perfect life, and to die as a sacrifice. So it was a one-time deal for them. It was enough. Where on the other hand, what we're going to see is that God, the Holy Spirit's role, is not only past tense, but it is also present tense because his role is in our lives on an ongoing daily basis. He was instrumental in Jesus' life on earth. He was instrumental in the birth, life, and death of Jesus while Jesus lived. 
He empowered Jesus all through his earthly life and ministry. He enabled Jesus to live a perfect life, to fulfill all the prophetic acts, proving that Jesus' authenticity was who he said he was. See, the Holy Spirit had a role there. For us today, he also has a role because he is the convictor of our sin today and of God's righteous judgment. The Holy Spirit has an active role today on our life every day we live. John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8. But in fact, it is best. This is Jesus talking to his disciples about the fact that he's going to send the Holy Spirit. He says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So that's one of the roles that the Holy Spirit fills, is that he is the convictor of sin. He is the one that brings revelation to me that there's sin in my life and to you on a daily basis. Not a one-time for all thing. It's not that when I was 12 years old, the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin when I was 12, and now that I'm 60, he's not active in my life anymore. That's not true at all. The Holy Spirit is active every day in my life. Every day he's showing me areas in my life where I can improve and grow, and I need to have uh, that attention. Another thing, the Holy Spirit enables us to die to our flesh and to be adopted into the family of God. He is the agent here on earth that brings us into relationship. And he is the one that shows us that. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, what does that mean? If you live according to your own desires, if you live your life without the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you, you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So do you see the active role of the Holy Spirit happens on your life and my life on a daily basis? Not only did he bring us into adoption, but his Spirit relates with my spirit. His spirit testifies in my spirit that I still am a child of God. That I still am in right relationship with the Lord. It's a constant, it's a constant relationship. So it is a very much of a, of a present tense relationship because it's a daily one. These are just a couple of the many things the Holy Spirit does for us in our salvation and in our life of sanctification. And over the next few weeks, we're going to spend a lot more time talking about the role of the Holy Spirit and what he really is for us. But today, I just want to continue to talk about the Trinity. So let's go back and talk about that. So with these major points, we see the absolute necessity of recognizing the unity of the Trinity, yet with the diversity of the persons of the Trinity, being that Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are always totally 
in good relationship. From the very beginning of time to the very end of time that we know it, they will never disagree. They will always be perfect in example. So what is the example that Jesus set for us while he was on earth regarding the Trinity? What was Jesus' role? What kind of example did he show us? Because we need to look at him, don't we? I mean, he is the best example we can follow is Jesus. Jesus prayed to the Father while he was on earth, and he made it very clear that he was here because the Father sent him and that he could do nothing unless the Father gave him the ability to do the work through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see Jesus operating as a man like you and I, under the authority of the Trinity. We see that he was sent here by God. John chapter three or 5, verse 36. Jesus says, But I have greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they prove that he, he was he, God the Father, sent me as Jesus. Jesus also only spoke what the Father told him to say. John chapter 12, verses 49 and 50. I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who has sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life, so I say whatever the Father tells me to say. Jesus was also dependent on the Holy Spirit. On the other part of the Godhead, he was also responsible and dependent on the Holy Spirit to be able to do what God told him to do. Luke chapter 4, chapter 1, I mean verse 1. This is as Jesus was being sent out into the desert after he was uh, water baptized by John the Baptist. It says that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, because when he was water baptized, you remember the dove that came down? That was God the Father speaking to Jesus. This is my son whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and landed on Jesus, and that was basically the infilling of the Holy Spirit into Jesus' life as a man. So at that point in time, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says, the first verse of chapter 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The point is, Jesus couldn't have done that without the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. Jesus was a man. He gave up his deity. He needed the Holy Spirit in his life, just like you and I need the Holy Spirit in our lives. Not only that, we see that Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit to give him joy. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. So the Holy Spirit was active in the life of Jesus, not only to give him strength, but also to give him the joy of the Lord which is what we need, right? The joy of the Lord is our strength through the Holy Spirit. So I hope we're getting the point here. (laughs) The point is that God sent Jesus, the Son, to earth in the form of a man. And while Jesus lived and walked on earth, he was under God the Father's direction. And it's only as Jesus depended upon the power of the Holy Spirit was Jesus able to do what the Father asked him to do. So do we see how they interacted together? You see how Jesus depended upon God for wisdom and the Holy Spirit for power? And that's just what we're supposed to get out of that. 
is it is in, it is in the power of the Spirit that Jesus pre- that he preached. It's how he prayed. It's how he performed all the miracles that he performed. And he did all that to give glory and honor to his Father in heaven. He never did it to draw attention to himself. You will never find in the Scripture where Jesus did anything so that people could worship Jesus. He did it all for the glory of his Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's put this into some practical applications for us. This is a model for the way we are to pray and to work while we are here on earth. Think about it this way. If Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit, how much more do we need it? Think about that. If Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit, how much more do I need it? How much more do you need it to live in the world that we live in today? This is why the Holy Spirit is so important. And so often, he is the forgotten God. So often, people live life without even thinking about the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. So we're going to be spending time over the next few weeks to emphasize, to learn about the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we pray? How do we pray? When I pray... We pray in relationship to the Trinity like this. When I pray, I pray to the Father in heaven in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. The general pattern of prayer in the Bible is to pray to the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. It says, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. The Living Bible Translation says, Now all of us, whether Jews or Gentiles, may come to God the Father. Listen to this. We're coming to God the Father, who's in heaven, with the, with the Holy Spirit's help because of what Jesus did for us. You see the power of the Trinity helping us pray? How we pray in a model that we're praying to God the Father through the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus died for us? There's that model there. We're also instructed to pray in Jesus' name because all authority has been given to Jesus by the Heavenly Father. We're instructed to pray in the name of Jesus because he has the authority as the Holy, Spirit, as, as the Holy Father has given him. John chapter 14, verse 11 through 14. Jesus says, believe in me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. That's authority. Now, let me just put a caveat here. What we're not doing is making our prayer life a genie-in-the-bottle mentality. All right? This doesn't say that I want a new pink Cadillac, so I'm going to go out and I'm just going to pray for a pink Cadillac because I want one. Well, I can pray for it, but the chances are I'm not going to get it because it's probably not in the will of the Father. But if I live my life to the point that I am only trying to do what the Father's asking me to do, like Jesus did. Jesus did nothing unless the Father spoke the words first. And then when he prayed in the power of the Holy Spirit, great things happened. 
And that's the same thing for you and I today. When you and I live in a relationship where we are just trying to do the will of the Father, think about this. I'm just trying to please the Father. I'm listening for His voice. And when I hear the Holy Spirit prompt me to pray this way, now I pray in the power of the name of Jesus. And what happens? God answers the prayer because it's in the will of His purposes, not mine. So that's very important that we understand that so that we don't get ourselves, we don't set ourselves up for disappointments thinking that, well, just because I pray in Jesus' name, I pray, I end every prayer in Jesus' name, that whatever I pray for I'm going to get unless I'm living in a lifestyle, I'm living in a relationship with God that I'm listening and I'm hearing his voice. Does that make sense? Okay, Jackie, can you come? And we'll try to wind this down here a little bit. So as we end this discussion on the Trinity, there is one very important role of the Holy Spirit that we'll be talking about over the next few weeks, and that is how he helps us live victoriously in this life that we're journeying through. Because we are on a journey. Life is not one day over. It's one day after another day after another day. One step in front of another step. We are constantly moving forward. And I am so thankful that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be with us in this life. It would not only be miserable, but it, it would be impossible for us to live victoriously in this broken world if we didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. I want you to see the Holy Spirit as somebody you need to invite into your life. If, you're a, if there's a fear of the Holy Spirit in your life, I want to break it down. I want us to understand who He is and how he, important He is for our everyday life. That we don't shy away from Him. That's exactly what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants you to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. He's a ghost i got to be afraid of him. That's the enemy's working because he knows that if you invite the Holy Spirit into your life on a daily basis, you will overcome the enemy. And you will be victorious over the enemy. And then you will have a very productive life. And our churches will be productive because we will be inviting the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. I'm going to leave you on this note. The Holy Spirit prays the perfect will of God in us and through us when we pray in the Spirit. When I pray in the Spirit, I am praying the perfect will of the Father. Why do I know that? Because Paul said it in Romans chapter 8. In the same way, beginning at verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with what? The will of God. So when I pray in the Spirit, I know that my prayer is being is exactly in the will of God. How much power is there in that? And how, much time, how many times do we give that up? How many times do we forfeit it because I don't pray in the Spirit. And we're going to talk about more of that later. This was by far from an exhaustive study in the Trinity, yet I hope it gave you a little bit of an insight 
I hope it gave you a little bit more information as to how important it is that we appreciate God being one what, but in three who's in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we then can relate to them. I want to pray. I want to pray for you, and I want to pray for me, that we would begin to see the power of the Holy Spirit moving in our life. That we would begin to see and we would invite Him into our life on a daily basis. Beginning with the day one salvation, and then two and on, how we live victoriously in that. Would you close your eyes with me? Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I come into your throne room. And I envision you sitting on the throne with Jesus at your right hand making intercession for me because that's what your word says. And I'm there only because I'm there on his authority. I'm there on the authority of Jesus because of the blood that was shed for me and the fact that I received him and accepted him as my Savior. And now I come through the power of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is leading me to Jesus who then takes me to the Father. And so my prayer and my request are to you. And I pray for this church. And I pray for these people. And I pray that your perfect will would be done on earth while we have time to be here, that we are doing the things that are so powerfully important. I pray, God, that you would send the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom. That you would send your angels to protect us. That you would put a hedge of, of a protection about us by, the, by your angels that only you send. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that I would we would openly invite you into our lives today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me if you would. There's nothing worth more That will ever come close Nothing can compare You're all
Father, we are so thankful that you have sent the Holy Spirit to us today. And I just want to make the opportunity to those that are here this morning. Maybe you've never invited Jesus into your life. Maybe you have never felt the presence of the Holy Spirit pulling you into that relationship. But I just want to give you an opportunity to, to, that, to do that this morning. It's not difficult. It is just a surrendering of your will. It is just simply saying, Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. I am a sinner, and I haven't done things right in my life. And I'm so thankful that you are here to forgive me. And the Holy Spirit brings this revelation to my heart, knowing that I need you. So now I just receive you, and I just invite you. I invite you to be my Savior, and I make you my Lord from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, if you've prayed a prayer like that and if you have expressed that, maybe today for the first time or maybe before, but you haven't told anybody that, it's important that you tell somebody that you just did that. So this morning, I'm here to pray with you. If you want to, as people leave today, if you want to just come up and say, hey, I prayed that prayer today, 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 I'm here to hear you, I'm here to pray with you, or somebody sitting next to you is as well. I just pray for you. Let's pray one more time. Jesus, I thank you. And I pray your blessing. I pray in the authority of Jesus Christ that you would bless your people today. As we go to our homes, we go to our place of business this week, that we would invite you, Holy Spirit, to be a part of our life every day. That we would walk with you and talk with you and have relationship with you. And I so am thankful for that. Go with us, I pray. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed today. You're a blessed people.